Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And Caffeinated Thoughts is brought to you by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Welcome back to another week of Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. This is Shane Vanderhart. We got Brian Myers in studio, Ron Carlson at the board, doing the magic. He's Mm -hmm. the one who really makes the show go. We appreciate him. Keeps the wheels on the bus. And this week... Actually, it's technically next week is very special for me. Why is it special? Because it's one year closer to my death. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's sick. It must be his birthday, eh? It is, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really not a, a depressing. It's not a depressing thing for me. That sounded <laughs> sick, though. <laughs> well, we're all dying. That's di- a terrible we're way all, to look at it. We're all dying, Brian. We're all that, dying. It's a terrible and way we'll to look see, at here, it. As it's your a, birthday, as, dude. Well, hey, but no, it's one year closer where I get to be with Jesus. Okay. He's got a point there. Yeah, but if he wears a hat, nobody sees it. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) So um, anyway, yeah, going to be 45, so that's... I was 45 once. You were. So was Ron. (laughs) So it's going to be weird being halfway between 40 and 50, so... And then, but anything from, you know, Sunday on, I'm going to be closer to 50 than 40. So getting closer to 50 is starting to... Hitting 40 didn't really bother me. Getting closer to 50 is starting to kind of bother me. I wouldn't mind being 50 again. How about yeah, you, Ron? I, I, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I know my perspective's going to change once I hit there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things. Well, speaking of getting old, I had a great week this week. Yeah, Grandpa. Grandchildren number 11 and 12 arrived on Wednesday. Cool. Jonathan and Sarah are the proud parents of twins, Megan Grace Myers and Maddox Alexander Myers. Cool. It was very cool. Yeah. I, I, Twins I was, are awesome. I'm a twin. There you go. Is Maddox named oh, after uh, Lester? But see, they're they're fraternal twins. I'm an identical twin, so it is a little bit different. <laughs> Your brother's been in therapy for a long time, I'm sure. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he, he keeps saying, everywhere he goes, he has to apologize. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I have nothing to do with Shane. You know, <laughs> I can't control him. Well, anyway... Congratulations to my son and daughter-in-law. This is a uh, this has been a really cool cool event for them. They've waited a long time for this, and uh, I was in uh, South Dakota when uh, when the the babies were born. But I got to the hospital last night, got to hold them. It was very cool. But awesome. What are we doing on the show today? Well, we have a very special guest in the line. I think this is her third time. Third on. time, Dr. Rosaria uh, Champagne Butterfield, uh, friend she, of the show, friend of the show. She's a writer, speaker, homemaker. Former tenured professor of English at Syracuse, Syracuse University, where she was the director of graduate studies and held joint uh, teaching appointment in the Center for Women's Studies. She's also the author of two books, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert and Openness Unhindered. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, Rosaria. Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. Boy, that little uh, early banter, I almost jumped in to rebuke you for for age idolatry, but uh, <laughs> then I got to hear about the birth of twins. So yeah. this has already been a great, great experience. Age me. idolatry. Uh, hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard of that. No, before, I haven't but... either. I'm really not obsessed about my age. 
Okay. Does most it, most shows he's obsessed with mine. He's constantly <laughs> reminding me, you know, because it bothers him. I know I, like I can push his buttons. You know, there. I think there are geologic formations that are younger than me to listen to this guy. But anyway, okay. So you guys invited me on the show to talk about sanctification. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> we could probably use it, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, Rosaria, you've been on the show twice before, and a lot of our listeners already know your story. But for those who may not, can you give us just a thumbnail sketch of who Rosaria Butterfield was and who she is now? Absolutely, yeah. And thanks for having me on the show again. I always enjoy our time together. Um, Well, uh, the the very thumbnail sketch is that I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I am a woman whose life has been made whole by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the uh, by the, the the fellowship of the saints that 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 were the hands and feet of Jesus to me um, in the uh, 90s I was uh, in the 80s and the 90s I uh, lived as an out lesbian feminist and I um, um, at least for a, a decade chunk during that time and I worked to advance LGBTQ rights and causes, and in in many ways, the world we see today is the world that I helped create um, at a certain point in that journey. After I received uh, tenure at Syracuse University, I started working on a book on the religious right from a lesbian feminist point of view, and, um, and in the process of writing that book, started reading the Bible, and in the process of uh, writing that book, met uh, a pastor who was also a neighbor, Ken Smith, mm-hmm. who was the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. And um, he and his wife, Floyd, became my friends. And we shared meals and um, and uh, many, many meals and many conversations, did book exchanges. And um, and over time, the, the research project fell apart, and, and it fell apart because I came to realize through the um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that that um, while I had thought I was on the side of, of peace and justice and diversity and compassion and care, it was actually Jesus I had been persecuting the whole time, and not just some historical figure named Jesus, but my Jesus. And, um, and really, at that point, my life fell apart. Um, I came to Christ, and what I say in uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert is I lost everything but the dog, and he was a really nice dog. <laughs> um, I, d- I was not fired from my job, but um, it is. Uh, I was tenured, uh, recently tenured, in a field called queer theory, and um, I had in some ways... Um, I, you know, I could not, I couldn't work in that field any longer. Um, I did change my field, and I did stay on for a little bit, but then the Lord had other plans for me, including uh, marrying Kent Butterfield and now living as a pastor's wife and uh, a homeschool mom and um, and a writer. And, uh, and this is so not exactly you. how you plan things out, is it? <laughs> <laughs> to no, say the sir. least. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> well, we can talk about that uh, a bit more with respect to uh, your experiences along the way. I, I, I trust we're going to get into that a little, uh, maybe in second segment. Um, but I wanted to start off a little bit today talking about the Psalms. Mm, wonderful. In, in your first book in particular, uh, they appear to have had a big impact on your life. Yeah, yeah. 
Tell us a yeah, little bit about that. Impact on my life in my early Christian life and throughout every stage of my Christian life. Um, I mean, the Book of Psalms is, of course, an amazing book. I mean, the the whole the whole Bible speaks you know speaks to you, but in so many ways, the Psalms speak for you, and um, and that was a very powerful reality, especially in my in my early uh, Christian life, and even in my before I was a Christian, when I would just go to Ken's house and Ken Smith's house, and um, the Bibles would open and the Psalters would open, and the um, uh, you know there was just there's a there's a there's a um, I would squirm, you know, every time we would start singing the psalms, and 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 in fact, I think I squirmed my way into uh, repentance at least, uh, you know, at, on at least one occasion. Um, there was a time when we were um, we were singing from Psalm one nineteen, and this was I would, if I could mark, you know, if I'm capable of knowing enough to mark my own conversion, I would say this was the moment for me because we had. Um, we were singing from Psalm 119, line 56, and the line was, um, This is mine, because forever all thy precepts, or all of your law, I preserve. And for the first time in my life, I felt that I had just sung condemnation unto myself. And just the, I was actually somewhat thrilled. I mean, the reality that I could feel the Holy Spirit in my life was was. It was astounding, and and I think from that day forward, psalm singing, and repentance, and and solitude, especially in my early Christian life, went together in a formative way, in a way that allowed me to understand how repentance of of sin is refreshing to the believer, how God never gives us a command that we cannot obey with His help and grace. Um, and it, and it also, for me, helped me understand some of the differences between confessing sin and admitting sin. So my name's Rosaria. I'm named after the Rosary. Uh, you know, I went to Catholic school throughout. I had never heard of this thing called repentance. Mm. Um, and the other thing that the Psalms did in my early Christian life is they taught me about how the Bible understands original sin, mm-hmm. which is very different from what I had learned um, in as a Catholic schoolgirl. And I remember yeah. as a Catholic schoolgirl, Sister Mary Margaret explicitly telling you know, our class that original sin is like being born with a big bleach stain on your plaid skirt. And the sacraments, would fill that bleach stain back into the right color. And, and it was explained to me that's how we understood that, you know, that, that Mary, the mother of God, was without sin. And, you know, I mean, there's a whole theology, understandably, attached to uh, an understanding of original sin. And, right. and it was through singing the Psalms that I really started to get to a core understanding of why my homosexuality was a sin, for example. I mean, it was, it was really in singing the Psalms and in, and in understanding a biblical um, uh, understanding that, that original sin actually makes us guilty and corrupt. It's not a bleach stain, not a bleach stain at all. No. Um, that I started to realize that if I wanted to know Jesus, I would need to understand how original sin 
had distorted and corrupted me and how actual sin distracts me every day and how indwelling sin manipulates me. You're listening, Catherine. I wouldn't get there without the Psalms. You're listening to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, and on the line we've got Dr. Rosaria Champagne-Butterfield, and we're talking about the Psalms, and you speaking about repentance and the Psalms and original sin made me think of uh, Psalm 51 with David, and the words that that came to mind was that, behold, and verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, and that is just something, that that concept is so unpopular in our our culture today. But, you know, when you sing the Psalms with other people, one of the things you realize is that it also is, original sin is the most democratizing principle around. I mean, it would be very unpopular, it would be impossible if we said, and you, Rosaria, have original sin, and everybody else is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's true. It might be a little awkward. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but but you, now this is the problem, but but that's not what the Psalms teach us. I mean, and and I think that really informed the way Ken Smith dealt with me. Um, You know, he knew that being a lesbian wasn't the biggest sin in my life. Uh, Being an unbeliever was. Right. Rosaria, let me ask you a couple of questions here with respect to to psalmody uh, before we run out Mm -hmm. of time in this segment. Sure. Um, Tell us a little bit about the first time, and I take it this happened in Pastor Smith's home, the first time you sang the Psalms, what was that like? Did you think that was unusual or strange? Uh, well, At the time, not no. Well, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and I'm I'm I went uh, I started college as a music major, and I'm a voice really? a voice major. Yeah, and so so I hadn't sung in years, and and I hadn't been around people for whom musical literacy meant something. So um, so I found myself immediately aesthetically drawn to the singing of the Psalms, and at the same time, spiritually fighting and kicking against the, the words I was singing. And it was almost like the singing of the Psalms make me, made me drink deeply of this, of this well that I was absolutely certain would poison me for the life I lived and loved. Um, but it was very powerful. Yeah. So no, I, you know, what people don't realize, it's not like I was raised an evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if psalm singing is weird, I mean, you know, not so what? I mean, it's all weird. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's, it's all weird. It's, all <laughs> it's weird. All weird. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, and, and the fact that I was, you know, talking with people who thought differently than, than I did, uh, that was somewhat refreshing. It, it's not in the convictions you hold, it's, it's in the manner in which you hold them that people are offended or put off. Okay. So and that, my, my first response is, I loved it. Okay, cool. You were already familiar with the Psalms, though, I take it, prior to your conversion because of all the extensive reading of Scripture that you did in that project you were working yeah. on. Was, yeah, well, the, extent, the extensive reading was done with Ken Smith. So I hadn't done extensive uh-huh. reading. I had just started. Ken, I really considered Ken Smith my unpaid research assistant for this book project. Okay. And so the, the singing of the Psalms and the reading of the Word of God, for me, they were introduced to me uh, simultaneously, mm. which is how, how I use it today. I mean, I use it as a means of grace. Was there, you mentioned that you believe yourself to have been converted literally during the singing of a portion of yeah. Psalm 119. 
Was there a monumental change in how you saw the Psalms post-conversion? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that um, after my conversion, I, I think it was that understanding that the Psalms would lead me to repentance, the Psalms would lead me to a much deeper understanding of who Jesus is than anything else in the New Testament, and that that the Psalms would also, um, they would speak for me in my suffering and my loss, that, that the Psalms gave me permission all of a sudden to speak boldly at the throne of grace, because it was now a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. Amen. And Hang, hang tight. We're going to continue this discussion. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, and on the line we've got Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, who will join us next segment. See you in a bit. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers & Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, It can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515-490-2640. That's Myers and Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers and Associates, keeping your operations running. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Travis Rizold of Modern Woodman of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029, and he can help you find the life insurance you need. So we on the line still, um, carrying over from last segment, we have Rosaria Butterfield, and we were talking about the Psalms. So, Brian, you had another question. Yeah, actually, a, a couple more here before we move on. You mentioned Psalm 15 more than once in your first book. Yeah. In fact, I think uh, yeah. if if memory serves me, there was there was one particular situation you were in in which you said Psalm 15 and 23 got you through it. It got <laughs> Sorry. me there, right? Yeah, and that's been the case for many psalms throughout my my life. Um, absolutely. And uh, what what would you say to our listeners? to encourage them to spend time reading the Psalms or perhaps to even sing them. Yeah, and I would say sing the Psalms. You know, they are meant to be sung. This is God's songbook. Um, uh, I mean, if you like to read them out loud, that's fine, but I think there is something powerful about singing them because when you sing something, you own it. You own it, and you don't get to pass it off on somebody else. Um, And Go ahead, I'm sorry. You also, I think, when you sing scripture you it's easier to memorize too that's true too you think of all the the silly jingles you've memorized over the years by just listening to them over and over that's true and it also becomes somewhat um somewhat dialogic uh sometimes our prayer life uh can be one where we're just constantly talking about how we feel 
instead of talking to ourselves, using the Word of God to move our feet. And that's what singing psalms would allow you to do. And so I, I have been very, very blessed, uh, you, you know, to, to have this really as a, as a spiritual discipline. And, and people have asked me things like, oh, you know, what was it like, you know, when you went to Wheaton and you had 100 student protesters, you know, what did you do? Well, I sang a psalm. You know, that's what I did. You know, I, before I met with my protesters, I had some private time with the Word, and I sang a psalm. I, I sang so, a, another portion from Psalm 119, because really what we were debating, what these students were resisting, is the idea that the Word of God is vital and living and powerful and a double-edged sword, and it can't be tampered with because of how we feel. So over the course of my life, I, I, I am constantly finding myself, when I'm in a, a, a place and I truly don't know what to do, and I don't know where God is, I opened my Psalter. Yeah, it just it, my wife actually went to Wheaton for a year and just think that there are a hundred student protesters protesting the fact that you know the Word of God could change your life. <laughs> just mm-hmm. it's, it's discouraging. Right. <laughs> yeah, when That's when that happened, are. Rosaria, I remember Shane and I talked about it on the show. We we were just you know kind of aghast that that there would be protesters at Wheaton at the. <laughs> Merely because you were going to go there and talk about uh, your conversion and and a you know as Shane just said a, a changed life, it's, yeah. it's, it seemed but like what's wrong with this picture, you know? Yeah, yeah, but 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 it's important that we recognize that that's where we are. So so right. we can't we're going to talk past people if we don't recognize that that's where we are. But you know, I was also um, speaking at if, of all places as a you know. Re- as a Presbyterian pastor's wife, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention a few years ago, and um, and I, I very much enjoyed my time there. A couple of jokes about tossing me in the pool, you know, but not, <laughs> uh, not too many. It was good. We got through it. But you know, when um, when we were going to pray for the persecuted church, uh, the pastor that was leading us in prayer said, "the the the only song that we can sing for the persecuted church." comes from the Psalms. And that's true. Mm. I mean, what are you going to sing for the persecuted church? I mean, what what kind of, uh, dare I just say it, vapid, man-made, feel-good music are you going to pull off? Nobody would buy it. But Psalm 3, now, now that's, that's something you can sing for the persecuted church and for Christians who are currently persecuted for the faith. So the Psalms will stay with you for your life. You know, we will be persecuted. We won't all be called to martyrdom, but we, but some of us may be. And if you have the Psalms with you, you have a book of the Bible that you have um, maybe even memorized that mm-hmm. can carry you with God's help in his vision and his word and his purpose. Because there is a meaning and a purpose and a grace for suffering, and the Psalms uh, reveal that powerfully. Okay, Rosaria, let's. We've got about ten minutes left. Let's okay. Let's move on and and let's talk about community and hospitality, okay. which you right. write quite a bit about in your second book. And yes, I maybe, do. Let's right. get started yep. first. Tell us how you define community. Right. Absolutely. Well, community. Um, a Christian community is is a, it, it's simply a living out of um, the, the the truth of God's word. The Bible has answers. 
It offers answers to every problem we have, but answers fall they fall short without the pierced hands and heart of Jesus and without the community that holds you together, you know, with a cup of warm tea and a warm embrace and a, a body of Christ. And, you know, one of the, one of the realities for me is, um, you know, when I came, I came out of, of the lesbian community and, and, a, and, a, and a lesbian community, one of the things we would say about our houses, we would always say this, you know, our homes are, are incubators and hospitals. That's what we would say. They're incubators, they're hospitals. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at someone's home was open every night of the week for food and fellowship. We called ourselves family. We said, this is my family of choice. And when I, when I, um, when I left, you know, because of course you don't add when you're converted, you, you your conversion comes with for in exchange for the life you love, not in addition to it. So when I left that community and I found myself in a Christian community, even a really strong church as I was in, I thought these people were on a starvation diet of community. Yeah. You know, these people thought community meant, you know, a fellowship meal once a month or something. Or coffee it was, it was, and donuts it, at the Anna's church. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, now, wait a minute. Let's let's not do away with the coffee and donuts. Well, okay. Just saying. The, the, oh, but man. that's not koinonia. <laughs> well, you well, can have those, too. But I think the point is that you want um, you want your Christian life to truly model what Christ said and did and lived for, and that is that we would be in the church— a family, and family does not just get together by appointment only. Well, so we Rosaria, t- tell us tell us what the relationship then is between community and hospitality. Well, I would just say that that hospitality is a command in Scripture, and community is the day to day working out of your what happens in your home that manifests that to a watching world. Basically, your neighbors should know that you are Christians, not because of the placard in your front lawn, not because of what you say necessarily, but because of how you live, which is transparent, and how you gather and how the, the, the people of God live together as the family of God. So give us an idea of what this looks like at the RPCNA in Durham and in the Butterfield yeah. home. And, and I mean, yeah. get down in the weeds. Sure. Okay, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I'm writing a book right now, and it's entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And let me tell you, there are a lot of leaves in this book. We're right down here in the leaves and the weeds. <laughs> I'm um, looking forward so, to it already. Thank you. Good, good. Pray for me, please. Um, <laughs> basically, what it looks like is that every day is a day to extend hospitality to someone. And then some days, are it's already planned out. So Lord's Day is just planned out. Um, our church does it. Our home does it. We have a fellowship meal every every Lord's Day after church so that visitors can stay. And then we bring everybody back to our house after that. Um, and we include in that some neighbors who would come by. Um, we live in North Carolina, so it's actually not 8 degrees. It's going to be about 70 degrees today. Um, I don't mean to rub it in, but that's true. Uh, you <laughs> Are know, you saying we can't have hospitality if it's only eight degrees yeah, outside? <laughs> no, but I'm just saying it's a little bit easier to get your neighbors oh, in your okay. house, I found, in North Carolina, because we can put the grill at the front of the house. Ah. Not, you know, we're, we're, we're out, we're visible. Um, and so, so every Lord's Day, I plan to feed, um, you know, anywhere between 20 and 50 people. That's just, that's just how I, you know, I just kind of wow. put the batches on the Lord's Day, and then, and then various nights of the week have become community nights, uh, and that would be designated nights when we 
have what might look like an open house for neighbors. Um, in addition to that, we, we have um, prayer walks with our neighbors, and I use our there's a social media app called Nextdoor. I use that all the time for, you know, inviting neighbors to do this and that. Kent and I also try very hard to make sure that our neighbors know where, where the Lord is in our suffering. So we've had a couple of experiences uh, where uh, we, we were robbed once, We were, and it was yeah. really a, a traumatic experience. And then recently a neighbor of ours um, uh, was arrested for uh, making crystal meth in his home. This was uh, right d- d- directly across the street. It was a big deal. And um, Kent, in both of those instances, used the very following day to invite all of our neighborhood to a cookout at our house where we would talk and pray. And, and, um, and we have seen that really seizing these spontaneous opportunities instead of, instead of, instead of using these opportunities to be in fear, to, you know, lock the doors, to, you know, draw the shade, but instead to do just the opposite, to use these opportunities to say to people, look, bad things have happened, but God can't take those things that are eternal, the Word of God, your soul, and your future, if it's in Christ, will make very good sense of all of this. And, and even in our neighbor who, um, who was making crystal meth, it, it, you know, we were, we were really the only people who had befriended this neighbor because, you know, he was a bit of a recluse, and people sort of looked at him almost like the Boo Radley on the block, and mm-hmm. Um, and, and Kent has been extremely, you know, faithful in visiting our neighbor in jail, and um, the kids and I have been faithful in writing, and, and you know, and now this, this man has committed his life to Jesus. Wow. And, and I'm saying it's because of us, but here's what, what has happened. We reminded him that just in the same way that we invited him to our home every Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthday, why? Because he's our neighbor, and because God never gets the address wrong, that's why. Likewise, we have not forgotten. God tells us to not forget people who are in prison. So, so we try to um, we try to live our lives in a transparent way, and we we would we would say that we are motivated a lot by uh, two particular uh, principles in the Bible. One is the principle of adoption, and the other is the command to keep the Lord's day holy. And mm-hmm. so those are the two operating principles that we use. Um, and But we think about hospitality and neighboring as something that you do every day. And, and I would even go so far as to say that to deny hospitality is really to deny gospel life to someone. Okay, Rosaria, we've got just a couple of minutes left. I, I take it that the congregation there in Durham has also bought into this concept. I think that, you know, we're, people think Kent and I are a little extreme. You know, we, we, <laughs> we, 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 we you might even say some people think we're kind of hippies, you know, on this point, you know. Um, it is true that, you know, the, the other day, well, when people don't show up, my children are devastated. You know, I had one child who just startled when it was just us at the dinner table and lamented about how lonely and dreadful that was <laughs> because it was just so strange, you know. Um, but yes, I, definitely the congregation in, in, in their own ways have been, uh, are given to hospitality. Um, it's also a small congregation. It's also an older congregation. 
So, um, you know, what I would say about hospitality is that you're either serving or you're receiving. You know, Jesus was both host and guest, and there's no shame in being guest. Uh, we need we need guests. Very true. Rosaria, it's been great to have you on the show again. The time always flies by whenever we have you on. It does. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk with you guys as well. Well, I, I'm looking forward to that second, or excuse me, third book. Um, yeah, I, great. I, so you're really going to get uh, into detail on this whole I on am. this whole thing in this book. That'll be fantastic. I am. Good, good. I well, pray, please pray that God would be given all the glory. Definitely will. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, stay yeah, tuned. We're gonna have next. We're gonna have Drew Klein with Americans for Prosperity on talk about the collective bargaining uh, reform bill that was just passed. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Risvold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you, call my friend Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Crosswalk Ministries with Scott Owen, who offers biblical counseling and conciliation. Give him a call at 515-292-7141 or go to crosswalkcounseling.org. There was a very big bill, a historic bill, uh, that passed this week in the Iowa House and the Iowa Senate. Uh, collective bargaining reform. And here to talk to us about that on the line is uh, Drew Klein. He's the state director for Americans for Prosperity in, here in Iowa. Another friend of the show. Another friend of the show. Not not his first rodeo here. Welcome to Caffeine Thoughts Radio, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me on this morning, guys. Hey, not a problem. So collective bargaining reform has been uh, certainly one of your guys' priorities for a while. For those of our listeners who may not be aware, could you just briefly define what collective bargaining is? Yeah, well, and that's actually probably a really good place to start because collective bargaining, the term itself, actually refers to a legal process by which a public employer, uh, in this case we're talking about uh, public sector collective bargaining, a public employer and a bargaining unit, generally a union, enter into contract negotiations. Um, it is not, more broadly, the conversation that takes place between employees and management about the things that they would like to see happen. That that's, exists outside of the collective bargaining process, and, and nothing changed in, in, that, uh, in that sense. This just refers to the legal conversations, uh, which at times become binding uh, through arbitration or other processes 
by which the union itself negotiates with a public employer over contracts. Okay. And this bill basically, uh, before again, before this bill was passed, what was on the table when they would talk, do, do, do this bargaining? Yeah, pretty much everything. Okay, uh, except I mean, pensions, was, right? <laughs> uh, except for pensions, yep. Uh, that's the, That was the one thing. Retirement was not included in the scope of negotiation. Uh, but everything uh, from the process by which you would hire and fire people, uh, layoffs, seniority, uh, who gets to pick vacation weeks first, uh, I mean, literally everything, uh, and obviously wages and, and benefits, time off, comp time, just all of it. It was all included in the scope of those negotiations, uh, which, again, uh, then had the force of, of law behind them once those were, those were signed, uh, which... You know, when you're signing two, three, five-year contracts as, as a public employer, not knowing what revenue streams are going to look like down the road, uh, it was causing a real problem. Drew, it, it seems to me, if, if memory serves, that in, in a number of the states that have had difficulties financially, that it, it, it was the uh, public employee pension funds that, that were really causing them grief. Um, do you see that as something that it, at some point the legislature would, would address? Yeah, that's certainly, uh, again, a, a separate topic because of the fact that pensions were not included in collective bargaining. But right. but across the country, there is a, a growing concern with the unfunded liabilities that our public pensions present. Uh, Iowa certainly is not the worst uh, of the states, but we do, in, in the state of Iowa alone, uh, have something to the tune of $46 billion in unfunded pension liability. And certainly I think that's something that the legislature can work to address uh, down the road. Uh, and quite frankly, before any of your listeners get too scared, they can do it while protecting uh, you know, the promise that we've made to existing employees and, and just making sure uh, that we protect uh, the taxpayers long term by, by modifying uh, the type of a system that we're using, uh, especially for those that are, are new to the system or are right. about to come into the system as new hires. So. When it comes to the bargaining process, back to that, what, what has changed now? Yeah, so there have always been, in essence, three categories of, of topics under negotiation. There have been mandatory topics of negotiation, there have been permissible topics of negotiation, and then there have been prohibited topics. So, uh, as you mentioned before, the only, category, the only item that existed under the, uh, the prohibited category in the past uh, was retirement. Uh, now we're moving a few other categories over there, including health insurance. The primary reason there uh, being that, uh, that especially in small communities or for small uh, collective bargaining units themselves, uh, if, if we can take that out of the scope of negotiation, we can start to allow them to work together uh, with other bargaining units to expand their risk pool and, and find a way to drive down health insurance costs uh, and, again, protect taxpayers. Uh, for the vast majority of other categories, we've moved those out of the mandatory topic and we've moved them into the permissible topic, meaning that if both parties agree that they would like to negotiate over vacation time or whatever other topic, uh, they're allowed to do so, but both parties have to agree to that in order for it to be a part of the scope of, of that collective bargaining. Now, under the new law, uh, which we're still waiting on the governor's uh, signature on, uh, the only mandatory topic is wages, which, again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it makes sense that we would hold both parties to a, uh, a binding negotiation over what base wages are going to be. 
Uh, but uh, the nice thing is, uh, throughout this bill, we've also provided employers some, some tools for better management so that uh, in addition to the base wages that are set in those negotiations, employers also have the freedom to reward their best employees uh, outside of, of that base expectation with some additional compensation or an extra day off or, or however they want to reward good, uh, you know, good employees. Uh, they'll now have the ability to do that uh, without being bound by the union's strict seniority rules. Okay. Uh, there's also was a change to how unions are certified uh, in this law, wasn't there? Yeah, Which could absolutely. end up having some impact down the road? Absolutely. You know, right now as it exists within uh, public employment, the vast majority of public employees have never had an opportunity to vote for their union, to be represented by their union. Uh, and, of course, that causes uh, some concern and, and some problems. Uh, it causes a problem if I'm the, the public employer that's trying to negotiate with these folks because, quite frankly, I'm not even uh, sure that, I, that I'm negotiating with a body that represents the interests of all of its employers mm-hmm. uh, who are going to be affected by these contracts. And I think, uh, you know, furthermore, we, we think that it's a good move to have greater accountability within those unions uh, for the sake of the employees themselves. And, and so now, uh, under the new law, uh, uh, all labor unions will be required to recertify before they enter into contract negotiations with the public employer. Uh, it also, uh, another one just kind of on the, the inside mechanism of, of these unions and how they operate, uh, will require that they do their own dues collection, that the state or the public employer will no longer be required uh, through the use of taxpayer resources to be collecting their union dues for them. I can imagine that that particular point was a, a huge blow to the unions. Yeah, certainly those are a couple of the issues that they brought up to, to try to demonstrate that this bill had nothing to do with good public policy but was uh, just about union busting. And unfortunately, throughout uh, you know the lengthy debate that occurred on this bill, because between both chambers, uh, just floor debate itself, we've got over 40 hours of debate on this one bill outside of the committee process and the public hearings and subcommittees and, and all of that. Um, they wanted to make this a uh, an issue that you know we're just attacking unions and and quite frankly I think that was meant to distract from the extremely common sense changes uh, that are coming under this law. Uh, it was uh, it was quite unfortunate. In fact, I uh, was was uh, you know my organization was was kind of singled out uh, amid that process and, yeah. and uh, evil Coke brothers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But, uh, but that's what we see when uh, when you're going to lose on the issues, then you try to change the subject. And, and I think that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah, so this isn't going to, like, all the teachers aren't going to quit, right? That's... Yeah, no, there are, there are, I believe, five states right now where teachers do not have the ability to collectively bargain under union negotiations, and they still have public schools. Uh, those states still have police and fire and snowplow drivers and all of those other things. It's almost as though the union did not create the school. Hmm. Interesting. And public just need to know too. Public uh, public safety employees. If your bargaining unit has more than thirty percent, their deal is a little bit different under the law, and we don't really have time to get into that. We're running up against a break. But hey, Drew, thank you so much well, for thanks, coming on Drew. and explaining this. We appreciate it. This is a big change. Has not changed since nineteen seventy four. So this is historic. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Stone up, town, down home, America.
His easygoing demeanor was so relaxing, refreshing, and romantic as a marriage partner. But as a parenting partner, not so much. Raising kids has been such a hassle with your contrasting styles. I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. Very few couples enter marriage thinking about their spouse as a mom or dad. Yet, that parenting stage can last two or three decades. And if there's anything you want to tackle as a team, it's parenting. However, the differences of your personalities, maybe your experiences, and even preferences can make it a battle for some sense of consistency. The Bible warns us not to provoke our children to wrath. To avoid this, it tells us to provide instruction and correction based upon biblical truths designed to draw them to Christ. To get help with your parenting plan, call Crosswalk Ministries at 515-635-5465 or online at crosswalkcounseling.org. Hey, do you want to take advantage of the marketing potential within social media for your company or organization, but you're not so sure how? Let me help. My company, 415 Communications, is a social media consulting firm that works with groups like yours. Go to 415 Communications or give me a call at 515-321-5077. And now it's time for our new feature on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available. Yes, we do. Because our beloved president and leader of the free world loves Twitter. Twitter of the United States. Today, we're once again ending the show with our new feature. So, without further delay, drum roll, please. May I present to you the top Trump tweet of the week. Yeah, baby. Yep. I'm excited. I'm never up early enough to see this happen live. All right. But magic happens early in the morning. Well, speaking of which, this one is from February 15th at 5.13 a.m. All right, here it is. The real scandal here is that classified information is illegally given out by, quote, intelligence, unquote, like candy. <laughs> Very un-American. Now, I tell you what, he I've got some sympathy with uh, with I, the guy here, although I can get a kick out he's, how he's talking about it being handed out like candy. Yeah. <laughs> I I have to agree. Um, yeah, I... Well, you got you got you want to read you got some info. Well, here for yeah, this, this to kind of give some background. Well, but well, here's here's a quote from Eric Erickson, who's no fan of of Donald Trump. No, but this is but a problem. It is. What we are seeing is an intelligence community trying to sabotage the president of the United States. We should all be more. Excuse me. We should all be concerned, even if we have our own concerns about the president and Russia. It is more and more apparent that while Mike Flynn misled Vice President Pence and should have been fired, we only know this because members of the intelligence community engaged in an opposition research dump on Flynn with the media. They engaged as a separate and distinct branch of government, and that's a dangerous situation. Right. And this is the deep state, and this is not something that we want. Um, No. So I I find it interesting that – um, Democrats applauded the leaks, or excuse me, 
uh, moaned about the leaks uh, with Hillary Clinton and the mm-hmm. DNC, uh, but are applauding this. You can't have it both ways. I think I think investigations need to be held on both the leaks and both both Clinton as well as Mike Flynn as well as the content produced from the leaks. Uh, so you know you can't have it both ways. The content did obviously bring up some inter- in- interesting information, but we can't. Well, look, look uh, Joe Scarborough, who's a Republican, but occasionally will you know go off the rails here. He actually referred to the leaker as a patriot, and, and I, I'm sorry, that's that's just ludicrous. I don't completely ludicrous. And and I know there are people on the right that disagree with me, but I I was not one that stood up and applauded uh, Edward Snowden. No, because no, not at all. He's a traitor. Um, he 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 possibly put. If it's one thing if he handed over classified information to um, somebody who could put a check uh, on within the government on that his, you know the NSA. Um, it, if he if he was able to be a whistleblower that way, mm-hmm. um, I'm okay with even after this was vetted by you know people within the federal government. If this was then, le- you know, not leaked, but released to the media after it's been declassified because this was something that was unconstitutional, fine. But not only did he leak it to the press, then he ran to over to Hong Kong and then spoke with the Chinese mm-hmm. and then he's been in Russia. Well, um, that's it, not a patriot. People. No, no. And one of the things that's frustrating here is we know the Democrats will investigate everything but the leaks. Right. In this case. Right. This is Caffeine Thoughts Radio. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.